name is Tom Chick. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Thing. Parentheses 2011. Mm-hmm. I am here with Christian... Oh, I wrote this down. Hold on. Christian Matlowski. Uh, oh, I'm Lars. I, I don't understand English, but I work like a bear. <laughs> and also, work. Kelly Want, who uh, hopefully has a The Thing, parentheses 2011, tagline for us. What do you got, Kelly Wand? Uh, yeah, every movie already has a prequel. It's called The First Act. <laughs> That's the, the damning, title. damning indictment of this production. Uh, Is it... Racist to say Norwegians all look alike, or is it okay? Because they're first of all, they're Swedes. Second of all, yes, it's racist. Wait, they're Swedes playing Norwegians. You're saying? No, it's a Swedish base. Everyone. What? What? Kelly, one, you obviously haven't seen the original thing uh, recently enough, but we'll get to that shortly. I expect that. Here's my prediction. I don't want to spoil anything, but my prediction is this podcast is going to be three dudes talking about how awesome the thing was back in 1982. Uh, That's my prediction. But uh, before we get to that, Dingus, why don't you tell us in spoiler-free terms what's what's this movie that we saw? Well, this week we saw The Thing, a 2011 Norwegian. Mm. What? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, It is 2011. I checked my uh, (laughs) Facebook. It's a Norwegian science fiction horror prequel movie. They're also about about uh, Norwegians about the recovery of a specimen at a research site in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. The film was directed by Matthias Van Heiningen Jr. That, that, come on, do that again. Matthias mm-hmm. Van Heiningen Jr. Racist. Now, how and long, r- did you have to practice that? About three hours. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and written by Eric Heisserer. <laughs> you did way better with the director's name. I agree. Uh, based in part on John W. Campbell Jr.'s Who Goes There, it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Joel Ulrich mm. Thompson, uh. Adewale Akinoye Akbaje. Wow, how long did you have to practice that one, Dingus? Racist. For an hour and a half. Very good. Got yeah, better. And uh, Jorgen Langhale. <laughs> the movie is rated R for mm-hmm. strong creature violence and gore. Disturbing images and language, including blankets. <laughs> that is filthy. I admit. I agree with the MPAA for once. That is my child calling me. Uh, that is a, there was one use of fuck and two uses of shit, both in Norwegian. Were there no English swear words? Oh, there were 16 uses of, uh, of the former and six uses of the latter. Oh, I see. I'm just including the Norwegian uses. Sweet. The black okay. dude said frickin', and they didn't even say frickin' back in the 80s, did they? Isn't that a modern convention to get around PG-13 strictures? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to consult with our grammarians on that one. Uh, uh-huh. great. Sounds fascinating. Uh, all right, so let's now get into some spoiler territory. Uh, Kelly Wan, first of all, who was the director of this movie? Uh, Friedrich von Eisenreisens. <laughs> uh, all right, and Kelly Wan, what's the guy's name who played Echo on Lost? Uh, Adelweiler Spinspintrens. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> what is Christian? He changed it, though, because he was 
he got rid of the Stein at the end because he was racist. And what is Christian's last name? Splanchins. <laughs> All right. Kelly Wand, why don't you give us a, a spoiler-laden synopsis of The Thing, parentheses 2011. Oh. The Thing. Finally a movie that taps into man's universal fear of CG. I, is that now? Is that your tagline? Because you already had another tagline. Which one? Uh, I think you've stealthed two taglines into this podcast already. Well, they can go into the synopsis, and I'll, I don't want to have to forget them later because that's depriving the listener. Good point. Good point. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's the setup. <clears throat> oh yeah, I couldn't write a synopsis, Tom, because I had this infection. Um, it sounds funny, but it's actually a very serious medical condition. I didn't stop farting for 36 straight hours. And the timing was terrible. I asked my girlfriend to marry me, and I had this pitch at Disney to give on their CG reboot of Sorrow and the Pity. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I got a message. Uh, but I did get to go to a special screening of another prequel to a classic horror movie this week by explaining to the chick at the concierge desk that much like writing video games, podcasting doesn't count as working in the entertainment industry. So, Tom, this is special for you, because I know you'll be excited. It was the Jaws prequel. I was not aware any such thing existed. I'm I'm fascinated. Tell me more. Well, okay. I I hope they won't sue me, because they told me they would if I said anything. I don't think anyone listens to the podcast, so I'll spill a couple beans for you. Good. It's called Jaw, and it was directed by the Battle L.A. director, Mm. And uh, Todd Lautner plays young Martin Brody in it. And I, I, no, I don't know who Todd Lautner is. Why don't you explain that to me and other podcast listeners? He's the cross-eyed werewolf from the Twilight movies. <laughs> He's really hot right now because he was in that movie Abduction. I see. Good. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> Which is Twilight, but without werewolves or vampires going to high school. And Amanda Bynes plays the young Ellen Brody. Mm. And this struck me as kind of weird. Robert Shaw... Uh-huh. He still plays young Quint, even though he's in his 70s and not alive. But the young Matt Hooper's played by Sam Worthington. Mm, I like that. I'm sure Dingus would as well. Good. Because they were worried Dreyfus would make flat-top volcanoes out of everything on the set. Oh, also, Tom, mm-hmm. for Ben Gardner, mm-hmm. they got Daniel Day-Lewis. I like it. I like it a lot. Good. Because uh, Ben as- Gardner, of course, probably figures prominently into the prequel. Well... Uh, yes, he does, uh, technically, although in the first movie and in this movie, his character doesn't actually have any scenes in the movie while he's alive. But, um, spoiler alert, I'm writing the video game for Jaw, and when you hear the scratch actor, we got to do Daniel Day-Lewis's lines. <sighs> anyway, so uh, Tucker Lautner's Mark <laughs> Brody, and he's only 22, and it's 1974, so he's the vice police chief-elect in New York City, And when the movie starts, he's investigating these serial murders, a girl who looks like Laurie Singer at this beach party, and this Justin Bieber kid who was in this rubber life raft, and he suspects they're connected because the victims are all A, dead, and B, in water. And C, there's shark poo with Louisiana license plate in it at every murder scene. So long story short, the shark that Brody suspects did the killings has gotten the leaders of the world to let it join the U.N. as an emissary of the ocean, and naturally, Brody's opposed to this. Um, he's worried about another Watergate, because sharks live in water. Also, we know it's not the present day, because he asks Ellen Brody how the Cavaliers are doing, and she's all, 
I don't follow women's freeze tag. And he's all, uh, it's basketball. And then she looks excited and starts to say something, but then he goes, without donkeys. And then she's all, oh. So longer story shorter, uh, Brody's at home thinking about his clues and making faces at Ellen's pregnancy bump and shoving his spaghetti around his plate and looking bummed. And Hooper comes in through the window, teen Hooper, and he starts eating Brody's spaghetti. And he goes, dude, I totally just got laid by this chick, Mary Ellen Moffat. I'm pretty sure she's the one. I can feel it right here. And he points to his chest. And Brody's rolling a joint, and he's putting the weed in the paper, and he just keeps sprinkling it in and holding it towards Hooper. But Hooper just holds out two fingers. So teenage Mayor Vaughn comes out of the bathroom, only he's younger, and just vice mayor, because prequel. And he's all, hey, Martin, I need you to go to Antarctica and make sure it's ready for the 4th of July real estate developers convention. Obviously, don't mention the poltergeist, because if you shout ghost, people think pottery. You yell poltergeist. So head down there, sweep anything suspicious under the rug, and stay there till I win re-election. Also, I don't like when you three get together. It's always mischievous, but take Hooper and Quint with you in case you're out of food and heat and need to sleep with and or eat somebody. Hey, it smells funny in here. Is that weed you're smoking? And Brody lights up and goes, I'm the vice chief of police. I can do anything I want. So they fly to Antarctica, and it's just fucking snow for a thousand miles in every direction. And Brody looks out the helicopter window, and his cigarette droops, and he goes, We're going to need a bigger space heater. And everyone's all, Oh, Brody. So they land, and there's the Samboni stuck in an ice crevice, and also around the station, some Norwegian corpses with bite marks in them, and corridors filled with bloody dorsal fin prints. And teenage Forrest Whitaker character from Species raises his hands and shuts his eyes and goes, something horrible happened here. And Ellen Brody climbs out of the crevice and goes, Martin, you're just in time. Good news, I drew this Venn diagram of which order we all die in. It's the same as the sequence of names on my Facebook page. Apparently Death's sending us cryptic clues to help us, even though he's also trying to kill us. I guess he's a Mormon or something. Anyway, the order's also alphabetical, but I thought these illegible pie charts would be easier to remember. And the teen version of that lady with the glasses and jaws who goes, I don't think that's funny, I don't think that's funny at all, goes, wait, if somebody on Earth dies every eight seconds and we screwed up that order by surviving the plane crash into the roller coaster, doesn't that mean everybody else is dying out of sequence two and the list is screwed? Or can nobody on Earth die till we do? I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. And uh, Quinn eats a petrified coelacanth and goes, You all know me. I'll kill this fish, but for nothing less than 12000 payable in doll's eyes. And Brody's all, Also, does death kill supernovae and aliens, or is he earthbound? Or is he just America's death? And Ellen drags a shark carcass with X's over its eyes and a piece of wood stuck through its head from the crevice and goes, Speaking of which, I killed this shark by ramming my boat at its head. Long story, but maybe it's our murderer. And Hooper takes out a tape measure and goes, Martin, open its mouth. And Brody pulls out his gun and tells the shark, Smile, you son of a bitch. But it ignores him, so he shoots it. Then his kid, Martin Jr., shakes his head and opens the mouth and goes, Look, shark teeth pop. And Hooper measures them and goes, nah, this is a polar shark. And Ellen Brody's fat friend goes, a what? And Brody's all, damn, we got to close this whole pole down and blow it up so this creature freezes to death. 
and Ellen's all, uh, ice doesn't seem to kill it very well, but you're the shiter. And Mayor Vaughn parachutes down and goes, Close Antarctica? The day before the 4th of July? Martin, my kid was out there today. If I had kids. And Brody goes, Look, any one of us could be the shark. Maybe all of us, I guess. Based on all my scientific knowledge, we need to take a blood test. If any of the blood's CG, it'll react when I stick a hot, non-CG needle into it. Although if it's washed down the shower drain or spills on laundry, I guess it won't feel anything. So... Anybody got a hot needle on him? And Quint crushes his can and goes, That chiefy, he real smart or he real dumb? Mr. Hoopa? And Hooper crushes his Dixie cup and goes, And my axe. And Ellen Brody crushes a wine bottle in her hand and goes, Ow, fuck. And Mayor Vaughn's all, But Martin, the financials. And Brody's peach fuzz has icicles on it because it's cold. And he takes some lit dynamite out of his back pocket and holds a book of matches up and goes, I mean it. And they're all... Uh, we said yes. So they take the CG blood test one by one, and they put all the suspicious members together in a cluster, which doesn't seem very safe if they're human or all infected, for that matter. But it's cool, because nothing happens repeatedly. And Brody sniffs his hot needle and goes, huh, I really thought they'd turn one of you into a spider beast. Boy, is my face red. And Quint's all, so you kept this tied up next to it? What kind of plan is that? And Brody tastes the blood in the Petri dish and shrugs and goes, maybe we could try semen. And Ellen's all, that's your answer to everything. And Quint's all, hey, how about a non-faked physical gesture test? And he moves his hand through the air and goes, eh, let's see a shark try that. And Hooper holds up some metal triangles and goes, look at filling. See, the shark can't replicate inorganic materials. And Quint's all, wait, so we can put our clothes on and hairspray and learn our language and personality types by eating us and pass for us in every way, but it can't just pop fillings into its replicated teeth or put an earring on the right ear? Why is it so dumb? I thought its tech was way greater than ours. Also, if it's always turning into shit, how's it pilot the ship? Or is that why it crashed? He did aim for the one continent without life on it for him to absorb. Maybe this alien's a fucking idiot. And Brody's all, then we have to do a red dragon and think like he does. Uh, anybody got a shark suit? I'm a size 9. And Ellen scowls, and he's all, size 12. And then there's a sonar ping from under the ice on Ellen's Geiger counter HUD. And Ellen's all, oh, it's the shark firing up its submarine. I think we just boarded into wanting to leave. For the North Pole, what do we do? And Quint's all, wait, it crash-landed and wandered into the snow to die, but now its vehicle works fine, 100,000 year, blam. Brody shoots him. And Ellen's all, Martin, why? And Brody's all, no one could have survived that helicopter crash, at least nothing human. And Ellen's all, what helicopter crash? What the hell are you talking about? And Hooper goes, okay, this franchise has definitely jumped the thing. And he shoots himself. And Ellen shoots Martin, and he pulls off his Brody mask, and he's the shark. And he's all, how did you know? And she's all, when you said the cause and the yod. Also, the real Martin's not as good in bed, so thanks for that. And the shark's all, ah, well, words aren't my preferred mode of communication, even though I can feign English pretty good. Maybe in a few hundred years, they'll meld our DNA, and you'll have acid for blood, and be able to make baskets with a basketball, with your back turned. Ripley's first name was Ellen, too. And she's all, the name's Brody, and she sets the shark on fire, then jumps up and down on it, then sits in a snowmobile and stares at nothing. Over the closing credits, the Jaws theme finally plays for the first time. It shows Brody's burning body is still burning a couple weeks later, and this fire's melted all the ice, and Antarctica's now a beach, and some stone teenagers are having a party around it. And this girl at the party named Chrissy smiles across the fire at a young, drunken Dennis Quaid, and... 
Then she laughs and runs towards the beach as she sheds her clothes, preparatory to going skinny dipping. The end. All right, so that happened. Uh, let's now let's get into spoiler territory about the thing, the, the, the remake here. His jaw. I see. Yeah, it's just one jaw instead of multiple jaws. Uh, all right, uh, let's see. Kelly, did you see the thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was uh, desolate in the theater. It was like 1982 all over again. There's nobody in there. Yeah, the original thing did not do well. Uh, so what? one of the things I want to suggest is let's hold off for a minute, because I know this is where I want to go, uh, comparing the 2011 remake to the original 1982. Uh, we'll get to there in good time. Uh, before we do that, I'm curious what you guys thought of the 2011 remake on its own terms, not as a, a response or a prequel to... Uh, the John Carpenter movie. Uh, Dingus. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dingus. I was just going to say, I'm really excited to hear you guys talk about the 1982 thing because I missed it. Um, yeah. I was a kid. <laughs> Wait, man. I wondered about that. I saw Dingus watching it on Xbox Live the other night. I was on, and uh, it says, Dingus is watching Netflix, The Thing. And I'm like, has he never seen that, maybe? And so we, we, we now discovered, Dingus, you had never seen the original thing until this week. No, I've I've seen it, but but when it oh. came out, uh, I have a specific story about missing it. But I'm I'm excited to hear how it landed with you guys because I have feelings about it that probably don't match up with yours. Okay, well let's talk about this 2011 remake first on its own terms. Uh, Dingus, what did you think of this remake? I hated the, it. Wow. Okay. Oh, sorry. Did no, I let's start that out. <laughs> That's loud and clear. Uh, there was uh, there was one scene I really really liked until I watched um, until I watched uh, on Xbox as Dingus uh, the re- the uh, the not the original but the 1982 again and then I realized uh, the scene I liked. It. Anyway, sorry. All right, Kelly Wand, uh, can you that succinctly sum up your response to this on its own, not necessarily as a remake? Uh, what did you think of this? 2011 Matthias D. Nibelungen uh, movie. Well, it's wretched. It would it sucks in all the ways that modern movies suck. It's uh, no. uh, that, that's not true, Kelly Wand. I can give examples. No, because you usually say modern movies suck based on R versus PG-13. So I don't think you can say that. Oh, I like every R-rated movie ever. <laughs> no, it's just that you, mostly when you say the way modern movies suck, you are complaining about PG-13. No, there's ways that every rating movie can suck. Like, just the way they... Like, you go into a... C, your thing falls into a CG pit, and uh, you never find out if this guy's got out or how they got... It's just this disinterest in... It, like, before, they would have to look at the script and go, okay, this can't happen because this would happen. But in this, now that you can CG everything, you don't have to think about logic anymore. It's sloppy. Uh, you know, so, I was hoping um, we might get some disagreement, but I agree with you guys. I didn't care for this either. So, rats. All right, no arguing. Fine. Pep, I was I was just about to, to say that maybe Tom's hiding, and maybe he really mm. Well, I Hang on. That'd be more fun, but I don't think... Here's he what I can say. I did yeah. like some of the direction. Uh, I thought the script is just awful. I mean, it just started with a really terrible script that had an absolutely misguided way, uh, idea for how to follow up on the original. 
because they, they, they of course have to do that. This is, I think, originally going to be a remake, and there's got to be some kind of added value. So there's the CG, of course. I was worried, actually, the movie would be ruined by CG. I think that's one of the least of its sins, in fact. Yeah. Uh, the CG at times wasn't bad. I mean, there was some decent-looking creature effects, but I just think it had far bigger problems. Um, so I, it wasn't ruined by what I thought would ruin it and was instead ruined by just being a really, really bad script. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, mean, I, I you know, I'm actually excited to hear you say some of the direction things you liked because um, I just kept feeling like I'm not – there's nothing scary about this and I am just completely and the things I liked then I turned out going oh those are that's why I like that Uh, I'm really interested to hear you Tom say the things you liked about the direction I'm honestly I mean I'm being sincere yeah no from the drive I liked the opening I I liked the uh the snow cat falling in the crevice and uh I liked all the Norwegian or excuse me Swedish actors uh (laughs) I liked I liked the look of it um I I I love the filling scene, I have to say. I really yeah. did like that twist. Uh, and I, I think uh, Mr. Von Nijemblimben knew how to shoot that well and how to ratchet up tension there. That was a very good scene. Um, what else did I like? And it was original. It was an actual idea. Yes, yes. It, it was Which... it, it was one. It, it sort of furthered. It, it didn't one-up necessarily, but it played nicely on the original mythos. Right. In, in a way that if they had managed to pull off like three or four more of those kind of things, it could have been a very good sequel uh, slash prequel. Um, but just that one little bit didn't save it. And ultimately, I, I think that the way that they wanted to, to sort of raise the stakes and add value was hugely misguided. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and put this out there. Uh, I think what they thought they were going to do to make this so different from the original, and when I say original, I haven't seen the 1950-whatever thing with James Arness. I haven't seen that since I was a kid, so I don't even think of that one. I'm talking about the John Carpenter one based on John R. Campbell's uh, short story. W. Uh, John W. Campbell, thank you. Uh, what they, What I think they thought they were going to do to make to add value is okay we're going to do a remake with lots of nods to the original you know things from the flamethrower to the dog chewing on the wire to uh you know a, 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 a kind of a counterpart to the blood test scene with the filling scene we're going to do all that but then to raise the stakes to add something we're going to make them go into the alien ship at the end yeah and what a mistake that was what a horrible wasted mistake i mean first of all there was no I mean, I guess we got the, that weird uh, 8-bit retro Lego Tetris kind of computer effect or something. And the ribbed hallway from the alien ship. Yeah, like like all that stuff. Like all that, it Lifted. felt like, yeah. And, and the thing is, part of the genius of this kind of movie is the contained setting. When you go onto this huge cavernous spaceship and it's just like one or two sets, I mean, that was so disappointing. And, uh, and I just kept thinking during that scene... You know what I would have liked? If, if I was in charge of this remake and if I wanted to add some kind of value, the thing I would like to get out of a remake, you know, the, the, the thing that I wished I could see isn't necessarily that spectacle. But I was thinking, what if someone had to have a conversation with a converted person, you know, a person inhabited right. by this malevolent intelligence? And instead, we just get a, a huge set and a, a CG cavern and stuff. And the whole time I was thinking, you know what, if somebody had just written like a conversation, like maybe somebody who's been infected is trapped in a different part of the base and they've got a walkie-talkie connection. And, and maybe a good scriptwriter could come up with a conversation about what that's like. You know, maybe that could be the twist is we hear the malevolent intelligence talk 
talking from the body of another human being. And, and I thought of how in the, in the John Carpenter one, and I, I wanted to not do this for a while, but I can't help it, because I thought of how in the John Carpenter one, how awesome it was seeing that dog in the first scenes of that John Carpenter movie exhibiting like extra dogular intelligence. Like it would, it would do things that made it clear that this wasn't just a dog, that this was this advanced intelligence inside of a dog, the way it would look out the window and the helicopter came back from the Norwegian base, and the way that it would slowly walk into the kennel with the other dogs, thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to deal with this situation? But that the sign of intelligence in that dog what if somebody wrote a counterpart to show it to show a human being behaving like that? And uh, so, just a huge missed opportunity. I didn't care about that stupid spaceship at the end. By the uh, time the monster was just like a tentacled thing from like the Dead Space video game, it was no longer interesting to me. Um, so that I just thought was a huge tactical error on the part of the script, and it really hobbled the movie. Have you heard of this Peter Watts story called The Things? the short story where it's it's like the thing told from the thing's point of view and it's like uh it sees it as distributing communion and he's really it's really bummed that it's being shot at it's <laughs> that's like, awesome see i would love to i would love to get a little glimpse of that in in the in a in a remake script or, or a sequel script yeah uh all right uh, when do you guys tell me something that this movie did terribly well, I didn't really understand why they didn't want the alien to leave in the ship, because that solves their problem. So the alien goes away. Maybe it's going in. I mean, I see. I can see where they assumed it was going to another part of Earth that's more inhabited, but... <laughs> maybe it just wanted to go sleep. home. Maybe right. it's like, like E.T. Yeah. But the point, the, the, the scene where I go, this writer should have been fired day one, is the part where the thing chases that dude into the kitchen... And you see the thing in the background, like, looking around, and then he grabs a knife, and I'm like, this guy doesn't understand the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. What the fuck is this shit? I don't believe, I can't believe this guy thought this would scare me. Like, oh, the thing's coming into the dark room behind you. That's the scary thing about the thing. That's what you got out of it. The original one, or the 82 one, which to me is the original one, was written by uh, Burt Lancaster's son. Oh, no kidding. Bill Lancaster's Bill his Lancaster, son. Bill Lancaster, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. He wrote that, and he wrote Bad News Bears, the 1976 yep. one with Walter Matthau. So you can find parallels in that, like between the bears and <laughs> Wilford Brimley. Uh, well, and the music, another thing, too, the music sucked balls. And it's like the 82 music by Ennio Morricone, like one of the few movies John Carpenter used somebody else's music on, Yeah, was replaced by just generic horror movie music. Well, and Kelly wanted to get to your point. That kitchen scene shows a complete misunderstanding, you're right, about what's scary about the thing. It would have been scarier if the thing had slunk off somewhere to complete the transformation and turn into someone that that character knew, or, or to complete... Instead, it was just a, a generic rampaging monster. You know, right. it, it could have been a velociraptor in the kitchen at that point. Uh, and that's just that's such a misguided take on what's scary about this, this thing. Um Plus, we don't give a shit about that character. Plus, it ends with her flat. It's so dumb. Nothing good. Nothing. All right, hold that. We'll get more into those. Dingus, what's something that's terrible about this movie? Um, the idea that you don't get to see Sanders get killed. Right. Uh, there's there's one dude, the dick scientist, that uh, get see him get taken by the um, the thing. Is something we're looking for, and they decide to do that off screen. <laughs> and it's not like this is. Uh, then there's a reveal later on or anything. We know it's Sanders. We know what's going to happen. And then Sanders drives the snowcat off to the spaceship. And, you know, your idea, Tom, about a, a scene where we talk to it 
that, that's perfect, you know, for Sanders. I mean, why not? Yeah. Especially because one of the things I loved about that filling scene, which was the scene I absolutely loved until I until I watched the uh, the blood test scene again. Uh, one of the things I loved about the filling scene is the language barrier. And there's so many things you could do with that language barrier. I love the things that they kind of try to play with. Um, and I think if you had had sort of an alien having to talk through Sanders, who speaks both languages, and then deal with that language barrier in a variety of ways with all of the people in the room with the imbalance of power that's going on, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you could have had so many layers going on in that scene. But this, I mean, this this uh, this script doesn't care to be that that smart and that complex. But but your idea of having a conversation it sort of calls to mind um, getting Ash hooked hooked up and then having him talk. Yes, very good, Dingus. Yes, um, I love that idea. And then that you know compounded by the idea of the language barriers would be great. And you mentioned the balance of power too, Dingus, which was was again such a hugely unconvincing thing in this movie. I uh, sort of against all odds, I liked Mary Elizabeth Winstead in this movie as an actress. Yeah. But I thought she was horribly miscast. I mean, the things that made her not work in this movie were not her fault. Uh, she was trying as best as she could, but she was not a convincing foil. It, it didn't seem like this cute young Columbia student was going to take charge of all these burly Norwegians. Uh, she was such an unconvincing authority figure, and I. Okay, I can't help. We're just let's let's do this from now on for all I care. I can't help but think of the scene in the 1982 John Carpenter one where McCready takes charge, where you know at this point it's sort of an equal balance of power, and the one commander who's had the gun sort of flips out and he puts the gun aside and he's like, okay, I, you shouldn't have me in charge. And then Childs, the big black guy, goes forward to take the gun and Nora stops him, and it turns out it falls to McCready. I mean, there's this sense of yes, this is the guy who needs to be in charge. There's there's no counterpart to that here. It's just because she's the biggest name in the movie. Yes, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is going to be the smart one. She's going to take, and it's so unconvincing. The movie doesn't earn that at all, uh, and it just made no sense. I thought she was, you know, seeing her try to be tough, running around with a flamethrower. None of that was convincing. None of that worked for me. And that's a huge part of this kind of movie. You know, this whole this whole thing about a, a movie where what does it mean to be human? You know, how do you know that somebody is, is human or a thing? That that whole group dynamic, um, that that really needs to have this convincing power play element. And this movie just squandered that. It had nothing to show for that, I thought. One other way they fucked that up is in the in the eighty two one, Kurt Russell's the helicopter pilot. So his having leadership forced like uh force foisted on him is mm-hmm. even more dramatic. But in this she's supposed to be a paleontologist, even though that never comes into play once in the storyline. So it's like she should be smart. So her taking leadership doesn't even have to do with her personality type, like the way it does in the eighty two one. So, right. She, it would make sense for her to be in charge, anyway. Like, okay, I know what the thing's doing, but none of the other, there's no there's no one else for her to play off of. None of the other scientists have any personalities. <laughs> She's got no her boyfriend arguing with her. Hey, he never does shit. He's her bitch. <laughs> Uh, I also think it's a huge mistake in a movie like this, which is supposed to be about group dynamics in a tightly contained setting. It's a huge mistake to bring in someone who is alien to the group. One of the, the genius bits about the original is that we... They all know each other very well, and there's none of this exposition where everybody's introduced. We are just dropped into the middle of this tightly knit group where everybody knows everybody, and they're using each other's names, and you can see these little petty disagreements and who's who to whom. All of that is already in place. Here, 
we have this character coming from the outside to sort of stand in for the audience. So as the audience, you know, our emotional hook to all these other people, all these Norwegians are aliens to us. We never got to know them. Our main character doesn't really know them. And, and I think that's a, a huge tactical mistake, again, for what this kind of movie should do, this movie about, you know, who do you trust, who do you not trust, to have everybody be alien to the audience's focal point, I think is a huge mistake. Well, and also in the 82 one, you got a sense of what it was like to be in Antarctica that long, and you just sort of like get sick of each other, and you watch – like there was no sense of the boredom. Yeah, because she's just, she's just come in. Like it's all new to her, and yeah, yeah. It's so boring. And it's like these things don't even occur to the filmmakers. Like we're we're – it's like we see it instantly on the first view and go, like, oh, fuck, this is why it sucks. It's like to them, they didn't even notice that. Like they were just fans of the thing and the alien, so they get to make it. Well, I think what what kind of happened was that it wasn't Universal going to just do a remake, and yeah, and then these guys said that's like uh, well we do, we would do a remake, but we were such fans of the eighty two, and that would be like painting eyebrows on the Mona Lisa. So instead, they did this, <laughs> which is basically painting eyebrows on the Mona Lisa. Well, it's I, I kind of disagree with that because it's not it, it's a remake in that so much of this stuff is 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 a nod to the the 1982 movie i mean there's so many things that are just clearly there for the fans like i think of the way it ends like as i'm watching the movie and i've lost interest to it in it and i'm noticing things like screens on the background that i don't normally pay attention to because i lost interest in the movie as the movie's going along i'm like well wait a minute we've got to have one of the dogs survive somebody's right. gonna have to slash his wrists at the end out of despair uh you know there's all and, and two people have to be in a helicopter. Yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking, where are they going to have these hooks, or are they just going to disregard the the beginning of, of the 1982 movie? They're going to shoehorn them in at the last second. Well, right. but I kind of liked that because as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, well, wait a minute, what happened to Lars? Where did he go? He was like one of the few memorable characters. I kind of like <laughs> that guy. Uh, so I'm like, well, wait a minute, what about Lars? Are they just going to for- conveniently forget him? Uh, and it seems like they were saving. I don't know that they shoehorned it so much as they just like saved it as a little treat for people who remember the 1982 one but as i'm watching it i'm like okay the 1982 one that's uh what is that 30 30 wow geez a pete 30 years old Uh. man i just thought of that so i'm watching it and they're and i'm thinking what about the new people who come who are seeing this for the first time they're going to be wondering, wait, why is this ending like this? You know, why, right. why is it ending with this echoing gunshot at a dog from a helicopter? What, what is the point of that? Why is this music style changing? That Neil Morricone did instead of this bullshit canned music that I've been listening to. Not There's even a great hammy line where she says, what happened to Lars? And Joel says, we didn't kill him. <laughs> That's right. Oh, that's right, because that's right. They have to get past Lars, and so we have to know that Lars is still alive. Well, there is one point, too. It wasn't one of the taglines, and Kelly, as our tagline expert, you would know this. Wasn't one of the taglines for the original, I say the original, the 1982 thing, man is the warmest place to hide? <laughs> I think so. So at one point when they're talking about finding the, uh, the alien outside of the ship, and they're speculating on why it's out the side of the ship. Someone says, well, maybe he was looking for a warm place to hide. You know, and I caught something like that. I was like, okay, that's kind of cute. Thanks, filmmakers, for that. I'd rather you make a good movie, but at least make, yeah. you know. These that, little- that ship sailed, so I'll take what I can get. <laughs> uh, so I, I did get the sense that they respected, that they liked the original. That's not thing. enough. That doesn't qualify you to make this. you got to be awesomer. you gotta, you got to improve on the 82, motherfucker. I didn't even I, get close. 
I agree, but I I did get the sense though that they weren't just crapping all over the original. Uh, that all right? So they, it's like Sarah Palin at the pr- vice presidential debate. She didn't shit her pants. Therefore, hey, great job. Like, well, they, I I don't think that it's a good movie, but I do think they respected the original. I think that they they saw that Universal just wanted a straight up remake of the original, and they're like, no, we don't want to do that. Let's at least do something a little bit more respectful. The fact that they weren't able to make a good movie that sucks, but. but- <laughs> They, I don't think that they disrespected the original necessarily. That's true. It could have been worse. I guess right. you're right. They could have. Okay. Right. Exactly. She could have been. It could have been a remake, and they just decide let's have him Mary Elizabeth Winstead be McCready. You know, they they could have just done crap like that. Uh, but they could have also done more stuff like the filling thing and like given us more lore to build on instead of less. Like, like remember when I in Paranormal Activity two is like the demon wasn't the same character as the demon in the first paranormal activity mm-hmm. that's, that's like how the thing in 82 is way he's way meaner and way craftier than the one in this movie because it's like this thing takes winstead into a room to kill her and it has her alone and her back turned and it still fucks and <laughs> blows the play she's all what oh i hear shit like how did it kill anybody in that camp well, Kelly Wand, that's how it got better in the 1982 movie, is it had learned uh, from its right. mistakes in, in the prequel. i got to keep down on the gurgling noises. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that's so weird about watching this is the things that I was really impatient about in this uh, prequel uh, are things that I totally accept about the 82 film. Mm, um, like, like the weather, for instance. And I think part of this is the problem that Tom highlights, that that the idea that we're just going to run off and bring this paleontologist in totally breaks the idea of isolation. Yeah. And yeah. so then when somebody says, uh, you know, I, Joel Edgerton or whoever says, uh, there's a storm, storm coming, a nasty one. All I think is, oh, yeah, we're setting up a disaster movie because we have to have a storm coming. Storm, yeah. Um, and the, the 82 one begins with, you know, just talk about the weather. The weather's crappy. You really want to go up? Well, it's your call if we're going to go up in the helicopter. There's, there's a feel of, of continuance that this is something we deal with all the time whereas in this movie it just feels like oh no this huge event is coming ah it's a disaster movie event um and and, i mean or or the idea of of the ecology of the creature um which i'm really curious about but i'm not i'm not going to hold against the 82 film for not showing me because it's not about that but this film i'm wondering well why 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 does he touch his ear like that? Does the does the does the alien take away his understanding of who he is? And when you look at the first, when you look at the '82 film and the way the character, the first character who needs the defibrillator, if you say that word, reacts to himself as he's getting sick, that's a totally different ecology. And so, I didn't worry about that in the '82 film, but when I'm watching this film, I just I'm constantly thinking, why is that happening? Why is that happening? You know, Dingus, that's a great point, because I love the little touch where he touches the wrong ear, so she knows it's not him, but then, wait a minute, isn't the thing supposed to be absorbing the knowledge of its host? Right, so why which ear to put it on. Dingus, you just ruined something that I could Thanks, Dingus. Nice work, right. Dingus. Now you made Eric Mastasia, who wrote the script, look like a buffoon. How does that feel? Did she uh, even live, by the way? Because it's like the, another awesome no, thing. No, no, she's driving around in Antarctica in, in a snowcat. Yeah. But just talk about the Russian base, which was was never mentioned in the eighty two one either, and they you know don't mention the American base at all. That's Isn't one it? of the things my my audience talked about at the end. Somebody far behind me said it didn't tell what happened to her, and I heard another voice go, "She's fine." <laughs> 
Good. So we've settled that. All right, good. I'm glad those people understand proper film, <laughs> how, to, how to read the language of, of the film. Of course, a guy in front of me said, that was just as good as the original as he walked out. Oh, no. What? Really? Because I'm there's only two people in the theater with me, and it was like a dude and his girlfriend on the way out. I heard him saying, yeah, and then there was this James Arness one. I was like, yeah, he knows. <laughs> and then I thought, wait, he was the only one in the theater. Well, for what it's worth, this is uh, it seems like horror movies this year, like uh, like Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, Final Destination 5. Uh, they, they tend to like open at eight million. And the thing is definitely continuing that trend. It came in third this weekend. Behind Footloose. Ha ha. Yeah, way behind Footloose. Uh, come on. That's shit versus a different kind of shit. Well, you know what? I want the director of Footloose to not do Footlooses anymore, so I want this to be successful. I want Footloose to be successful for Craig Brewer so he can go on to do uh, non-Footloose things. Like thing reboots, superhero movies that you don't want to see. Like uh, that Chained Heat thing. What's that called? Not Chained Heat. What's the Samuel Jackson, Christina Ricci thing? Uh, uh, heat uh, Black Snake Moan, yeah, Chained Heat. Uh, like Black Snake Moan and uh, Hustle and Flow. Uh, I don't want him to have to do any more of these Footloose things. You know, get that, you know, do your bank, you know, do your paycheck movie, Craig Brewer, and then go back to doing things you love. Uh, so, that never happens. They just go to for paycheck movies. They just do, like, uh, what's her name? Winterbone. Winterbone Girl. Jennifer Lawrence. Well, she's not a director. She's an actress. The rules are different. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I don't think the thing did very well. Like, it's not I, – I, I can't imagine there's going to be a sequel. Uh, Eric Von Niermeyer is going to probably have to do sequel. some uh, – I don't know. I think this is – fortunately, we're done with uh, trying to follow up on the thing, I hope. But that, and that will be the lesson. I'm like, well, people hate the thing. It was It was stupid in 82. It was stu- like, they'll never get that it was a bad movie. They'll just go, hmm, I guess people hate horror. Hmm, I guess in, I guess Antarctica is not selling anymore. You know, I, I yeah, like I, I, when I think of Antarctica now, uh, the the mythology of Antarctica, I'm ready. Did someone do a Cthulhu thing already for Pete's right. sake? Well, there was going to be uh, at the Mountains of Madness. Of Madness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe that's what this the lesson here will be. Oh, nobody wants to see horror in Antarctica. I hope not. Uh, all right, I want to I want to highlight a couple of really stupid lines because again, out of boredom, I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to write this line down. At one point, our brilliant young uh, Columbia uh, uh, paleontologist from Columbia remarks to one of the guys not paying attention to the briefing. She says, is he completely disinterested? Which, what? I don't remember that line. Incorrect use of disinterested. Uninterested. Uninterested. Dis- disinterested, mean like, disinterested means like unbiased, like a, a neutral judge. He was not disinterested. He was uninterested. That's why. It's like uh, titled and entitled. Uh, I love... When uh, you have a, a shot of like a somebody in an airplane or a helicopter or something, and they say, "So and so at one o'clock," you know, they like use talk like that. And it, so when they're flying the helicopter towards the base, uh, I don't think it, I think it was the it was Echo, uh, the the black guy, not Joel Edgerton, says, uh, "I see the base at one o'clock." When we're clearly looking out the windshield and the base is right in front of him, uh, one o'clock would be a little bit off to the right. So because I was, uh, uh, here's another one. I love uh, when Ulrich Thompson, uh, during his little speech to the assembled men, says, "Quote: This may be the first known time mankind has been visited by an alien creature." 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Passive much? Fuck me. But it may be the first known time. There could be other known times right. when mankind was visited by an alien creature. He's not sure about that. That's how people talk, and that's I, especially how... Like he, he doesn't know, so yeah. it may be the first known time. Unknown time. Uh, the the stupid boyfriend at one point I think when they're when they're arguing about the fillings here's his rejoinder to someone he says what are you an asshole what I don't remember this I swear I, I must have zoned out for the whole movie who did who does he say that to uh, I think it's when they're arguing about teeth and he he says you know what I have to die because I flossed I think it was during that scene uh, they're trying to grab him or something and and that's his rejoinder to one of the guys is what are what you what are you an asshole yeah. Uh, and then this is the first time I think I've seen in a movie a can scare. You know, normally you'll get cat scares where the cat jumps out of nowhere. There's actually a can scare where I believe Joel Edgerton kicks a can, and that makes a, a loud noise that makes the audience jump. So there was an actual can scare in uh, the thing, 2011. We had a brother. We had a brother scare. That was awesome. What was the brother scare? Well, I thought that the black dude was going to be the first guy to die, and instead <laughs> somebody goes. <gasps> Uh, so the well, brother doesn't die first. Right. That's the, the brother gets scared. He's not the one doing the scaring, right? Exactly. The filmmaker uh, said it was. Oh, okay, go ahead. I was going to say. I was yeah. going to say one of my my favorite goofy lines is, "Ed, be careful. We don't know what condition it's in after the creature has jumped through the ceiling." Yeah. <laughs> like, is it angry? Is it? I thought that was supposed might, to. It might be hurt. hurt. I don't know. Let's no, no. I think he's saying he's saying don't hurt it. He's being the Paul Reiser from Aliens guy. I thought like he's like okay, I care about the aliens' condition more than you guys. Like they're ripping off aliens, yeah. ineptly. But they also promised they're going to show the thing in its pure form, and that's their way of doing that <laughs> through the ice uh, and then smashing through. Well, that's was it? Was it in the ship at the end when it was just like a, a tentacly thing with a mouth in its tummy? Like, was was that supposed to be its pure form? I'm not sure. I don't I don't know if we ever Did got it that. Picking its own form, or is it just picking what'll freak us out the most? Well, you know what? That's something that I missed from the original, and 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 here even uh, the, when the when the boyfriend's face, like when it becomes the two faced creature. That was a direct nod to this two-faced oh. blob that they find in the 1982 movie at the Norwegian camp, and they bring it back. Um, so even that like wasn't very clever because they just had to do it to sort of tie in with the original. But but what I loved about Rob Bottin's effects in the original, and by the way, I didn't realize this, that guy was 22 years old when he uh, did the effects for the thing. That's just an amazing achievement for a kid genius. that age. Yeah, prodigy. So anyway, Rob Bottin's effects in the original – uh, it, it, you got this sense that the thing was this confused blob of protoplasm that was just trying bits and pieces of stuff as they were needed. Uh, and, and I really loved that about it. And there's even one point, and I didn't remember this until I rewatched it this past week. There's one point where it, it sprouts like a, like a hose or something. It's shooting a hose at a dog. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the weirdest thing. And it's just, there's, it's, it's, it was so inspired and just, just off the, hook or whatever you would say back in 1982 like all of that stuff was something you'd never seen before yes uh and here i just got the sense that they were doing stuff kind of imitating what we'd seen it didn't have that sort of confused inspiration that seemed to go into the 1982 movie and it was all cg so it doesn't even have the cool like when wilford brimley is up to his armpits in alien goo and going oh god yeah that's infinitely better than any cg shot ever yeah 
There's so many little subtle moments in the 82 film that I just loved. And there's nothing like that in this one. And, and I don't remember that because I didn't get to see it. I, I had the movie turned off about just a, a few minutes in. And so when you guys originally saw it, did you love it? Did you yeah. like it? Do you yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that and was I, one of those seminal horror movies. Yeah. It was the 82. It was the summer video. It came out the same day as Blade Runner. <laughs> wow. That's what 82 what? was. It was E.T., Poltergeist, Road Warrior, The Thing, Blade Runner. That was with 1982. It was like the weirdest and most insane movie year ever to be. And it was like when we were 13 or 12. It's like the perfect time to be a little, like a pre-teen. Well, watching the original, I get I, I get a little bit of... You can definitely feel some of the fallout of this, the 70s, like that 70s style of filmmaking where it's not like sexy and young and sleek. I mean, it's just these old dudes. There are there are long there. The way some of the scenes just sort of fade to black. They just yeah. happen. And I love that. I love how it's cut the original thing. Uh as if people just have nothing else to say, or the camera's just going to go away. Like it's got, it's got this unique sense of pacing to it. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't realize this, but it goes for long stretches without those special effects scenes. I mean, those things are seared into my my brain from seeing them as a kid. But I'd forgotten how much substance there is in the movie without those scenes, um, and I've forgotten how distinct the characters are. Like I, I think that's a great thing too about the cast of the thing is you they're they're all excellent point oh and, man and they're, they're all character actors at that time Ugh. which is and they're character actors for a reason because they look interesting and 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 even old familiar guys like Richard Dysart and Wilford Brimley who've been acting forever you know they're there because they have these interesting faces and this sort of uh, they they just got a sense of personality and and these sort of generic looking Norwegians I guess they were fine but I didn't feel like any of them you know I didn't feel like I ever knew any of them the way I say knew even one of the guys who dies early on in the snow in the thing I think yes. his name uh, what's his name? His name's Ben. Say again, Kelly. I think we lost Kelly. Hello, come in, Kelly. It, it's Fuchs, isn't it? Well, no, but here's a funny thing, Dingus. I'm glad you mentioned Fuchs because one of the things I like to do when I watch an old movie is play on IMDb. Where are they now? So, so I looked at because Fuchs, I like, I loved Fuchs a lot. He was kind of like the young Matt Hooper. He was like the young. Okay, okay, guy. okay. So, and he's the guy that they uh, they found his glasses, and that's how they found out that he died. And you never see, by the way, how Fuchs died. That's never really explained, and I'm okay with that. But so I'm, I'm looking up some of these guys online, and Fuchs, who I haven't seen since, I was like, well, the guy probably did a movie, and then he fell out of grace, whatever. But I looked up Fuchs. He's an actor named Joel Polis, and and the thing was his first movie. And so, I, and since then, the guy has like 102 credits, almost, uh, almost all little things on TV, and he's been doing stage acting. So I'm, I'm so happy. No, I mean, I'm so happy. This guy did this one part on the thing, then he's doing little TV parts, and he's doing theater. And that's just fantastic for that guy. I was like so happy for him to look that up and find out not that he had done the thing and then done nothing else, but just that he's been able to probably make a very lucrative living as an actor and probably a very creatively satisfying uh, living as, as a theater actor. Uh, so I just, I love the cast of the original. Um, John Carpenter on the uh, director's commentary, that part where Wilford Brimley uh, has his fingers and Gary's face mm-hmm. near the end. He asked him, what, what were you thinking about when we shot that scene? And Wilford Brimley goes, my laundry. 
That's like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Donnie Darko uh, looking in the mirror, and on the director's commentary, <laughs> he explains that he's thinking about that they're having pizza for for lunch from Craft Services. Hmm. Or George Clooney at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my absolute favorite moment in um, in the '82 version is is the moment when the dog goes up to the room. And there's the shadow of the yes. guy. Uh, and, and and what you were talking about editing and going to black, the 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 shadow turning as the dog goes in, and that's it. That's all you see. It's scary. And it's a scary that movie. Freaked me the hell out. Even when I watched it this week, I just love that. I mean, it it's so thrilling, and there is nothing that approximates that. Oh my god! I no. just I love that moment. I can't tell you how much I love that the way that moment is edited, where that just. It's just a shadow turning, and that's it. One of the one of the things I thought I liked about this remake was how quickly it got going. You know, I thought we were going to have a slow thaw. You know, literally as as they took the time to thaw the thing out of the ice, and so when it instead, you know, busts out of the ice and jumps into the ceiling, I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get moving quickly. Good, I'm on board with that. Let's let's rock. Uh-huh. But then watching the original and just how long it takes with the characters because they're they're such cool characters, I just really appreciated that. You know what? You don't need to have something jumping out of the ice on the in the first reel. You know, you can you, can you can't take your, see. You can take your time with these things, and that's that's what that's what the 1982 one did so well. Uh, it's scarier that way. Yeah. Basically, there's not one scary thing in this movie. Although I did, t- I was kind of enjoying the drill scene. That's the one scene. What was the play. point of that, by the way? I was sure that that tissue sample was going to somehow figure yeah, into the plot. Sanders. <laughs> and Instead, we get this awful Pac-Man animation that doesn't go anywhere. What the <laughs> fuck <laughs> was that? It's are, hor- are you talking horrible about the, animation? The are you talking about the little microscope? Yes, with the little, uh, that little like, what do you call those little spiky things that fall out of trees? Gumballs, those little gumballs he things. That was just it really was. I, th- I thought exactly See, like you did that this is all going to come out of the petri dish. Instead, we had the thing burst out yeah. of do a chest burster out of the ice. Um, In the original '82, awful, awful animation. Isn't there a scene like Tom Skerritt talking to Mother in the '82 one where Wilford Brimley is talking to his computer and it's all chance someone's been infected sixty percent or something, or something like that? Tom Skerritt. No, no, it's like the alien scene where Tom Skerritt's getting there's, bad news. There's McCready talking into a tape recorder, which, again, was a thing I loved about the 1982 movie, is it so looked like the 80s because, of course, it was shot in the 80s. Here, I mean, what, oh, well, was, yeah. they, I guess they had her listening to a minute work at the very first part. <laughs> and, then, and then it was kind of like, okay, we got our 80s nods out of the way. Yeah. Uh, none of them had, like, che- cheesy 80s haircuts or anything that I could uh, tell. Their, their rec room did not have a pinball machine or a video game, which was in both of the – both of those were in the rec room in the John Carpenter movie. They had pool. Uh, they, had a, they had a billiards table, yeah. Uh, nobody had one of those tape recorders, as far as I could tell. Uh, they did have a big old clunky video camera, which, again, was a nod to the 1982 movie where they're watching the tapes from the Norwegian base. Uh, um, see what they did there? Was there anything funny, by the way? Like, I loved, I love, I've always been a huge fan of, of Kurt Russell thinking they're Swedes. Uh, and it, one thing that I forgot, which I loved, is he has a kill line where he throws dynamite at the final manifestation of the thing before he and uh, David Keith are the only two left. Do you guys remember the kill line? Fuck you, too? Uh, close. It's, yeah, fuck you, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's just so cool. They are John Carpenter. 
But then also the the scene after that with him and Childs in the snow together, that's yeah. the scene you were talking about earlier. Like that could be and it's like when John Carpenter and Kurt Russell are watching on the TV. He, John Carpenter's all, see, they could both be the thing there. And Kurt Russell's all, oh, fuck, here we go again. It's all you talk about. <laughs> there was also no sense of the bleakness. There's a point in the 1982 movie where they know they're not going to live and that all they have to do is make sure the thing also doesn't live. And at that point, like, it's it's this great, like, like that old that old DOA movie where the guy's been poisoned and he's got to find his murderer, and it's it's this sort of nihilistic uh, mystery, you know, to have this nihilistic horror finale where it's not about you surviving, because it's not about the lead character surviving, because they know they're going to die. It's just about them also making sure the other, uh, that the monster dies as well. I love that bleakness. Yeah. In the, in the 19th. They're noble. They're heroic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This the remake or the prequel squanders that too. It's not even clear that they're. I mean, because I mean, it's it seems to be glossed over how how cut off they are because the helicopter shows up later. So I mean, you think yeah, but see, it's before the internet, Kelly Wan. So he didn't know how the Cavaliers were doing. You see, did you get that? Did oh right, that? right. See, eighty two. Yeah, you see. But how? he's a bill. But if there's a billionaire character, that means there, he has a million employees somewhere who are going to go. Hey, where's the boss? So he's still at the South Pole. We better check up on that. Who was the billionaire character? Sanders. Wasn't he the industrialist scientist? I thought he was a scientist. I can't keep my industrialists from my scientists, I'm afraid. Uh, he never said anything. Why did he need to hire a paleontologist if he was a scientist? He's hiring them. Oh, maybe he was a different – I thought he was like a different flavor of – like he's the he's meteorologist the, and he needed a paleontologist. Uh, I, he's the Donald Trump, David Warner, in Tron guy. Which one of them is the uh, chaos scientist? There's an awesome kill line in the – Jeff Goldblum? Very good. Uh, what's the awesome kill line in the remake, Dinkus? Not so funny when it's your mom, is it? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm Kelly Wan, did, did you see the remake of the thing? I feel like I did. No, I, every, it looks like the dialogue just skittered past me because I couldn't handle. I knew it was so bad, I just didn't want to think about it. Dinkus, why don't you tell the whole joke? <laughs> <laughs> tell us a joke from the thing. Uh, and then the guy says, that's not my leg. <laughs> All right, let's do a three by three. So none of us is a huge fan of the thing. Parentheses no 2011. Handled. If you've seen the 1982 one, I can't imagine you would like well, you know what? Maybe if you haven't seen it, uh, it's it's a way to sort of watch this one first and then see the good one afterwards. Save I'd the good like one for later. I wish I could find someone who had liked it, like so they could do a Tom on me and convince me why it was good. All right. I, if you liked it, uh, email Kelly Wand at kellywand at gmail.com. Uh, let's do a three by three. This week's three by three is Kelly Wand's. Kelly Wand, what do you got for us? Uh, three best. This one's lame. I have a good one, too, but we have to wait three weeks. And it's only good compared to this. Uh, three best accidental deaths, but not in a Final Destination movie. Mm, good. All right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, do you know who wrote Final Destination 5? The writer. The same thing. dude. Yeah. He, he specializes in ruining horror franchises. <laughs> 
Now, to be I, fair, I don't think Final Destination 5 ruined the franchise. The franchise had run out of steam probably maybe 20 minutes into the second movie. Do the catfish guys specialize in ruining for horror? You know, we're going to find out next week, but hold that thought. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, Dingus, you are introducing next week's 3x3, so why don't you start us off with your number three favorite accidental death that is not from a Final Destination movie. All right. Um, this is going to be a short uh, discussion because I'm not going to talk about it at all. <laughs> uh, because it's kind of a cool reveal um, for a movie I like that not a lot of people liked. So the movie is called The Upside of Anger. Uh, it's from 2005, and it was directed by a guy named Mike Binder. Dingus. What? <laughs> no, I like this, but uh, I don't want people knowing it. Yep, and that's why I'm not going to talk about it. So there's a really cool accidental death in The Upside of Anger, and I'm just not going to talk about it, and I apologize. Dingus, instead, why don't you tell us what happens at the end of Take Shelter? All right, so at the end of Take Shelter... <laughs> I do. That's right, the Quarter to Three podcast now does have bleep technology, so uh, we have not yet come to the Kelly Wan spoiler of the week. Actually, Kelly Wan, let's get this out of the way. Uh, spoil a movie for Why don't you spoil the end of Lake Mungo? Seriously, go for it right now. See, we did that, and you didn't bleep me then, and you were spoiling it as much as anybody. But then, the but we were week, talking about Lake Mungo. What's People the difference? Knew. You, right, right out of the blue... Blue. Oh, the color blue is the difference. I see. Ruined. You just like blurted Ruined. out. You, no. bl- you blurted out a huge spoiler for Take Shelter. Spoiler. A, it's not true. <laughs> what right. I said doesn't happen, according to you. And two, um, I say enough stupid shit on this podcast. I don't think anyone pays attention to the specifics. All right. But I, I was hoping we could have a spoiler of the week that I could uh, bleep out now that I know. Uh, how to at the end that. of the thing. Uh, Wait, at the beginning of the thing. Oh, the new thing with the same title. Oh, the beginning. I see. That's very confusing. That's no dog. All right, Kelly, uh, or Dingus, what's your name? Uh, Dingus, Upside of Anger. You've ruined it for everyone. Nice work. Uh, Let's go on to my number three. That's a very good one. I I did not think of that one. Uh, Here's a weird one. This movie is terrible because I I watched bits of it on YouTube. Uh, I I guess I knew it would be terrible. I I didn't realize how terrible it would be because I'd only seen it as a child, and when you're a kid, you don't know when stuff is terrible. But this is an accidental death that has stuck with me uh, since seeing it, and you barely see it. It's actually featured prominently in the poster for the movie. So I remember being a kid and seeing the poster and being freaked out by it. And then at some point I actually went and saw the movie and it's not as, uh, as freaky in the movie. So it's kind of left to your imagination, but the people selling the movie, making the poster knew how much it would freak you out. And this is an accidental death in the movie airport 1975 (laughs) in which there's a dude flying a little twin engine, uh, Beechcraft Baron, I think it is, and he has a heart attack, and you you see him clutching his chest and sort of lurching to one side, and and, and they show like stock footage of the the Baron, the twin engine plane flying one direction and the 747 flying the other, and I don't know how. Oh yeah, and then they show the inside of the cockpit of the 747 with the pilots there, and it's just like a big old fat green screen with a huge twin engine. Baron, you know, <laughs> and then they show the the characters reacting, and then they have a hole in the set that is the cockpit of the 747, and they yank one of the actors out through the hole in a string. <laughs> it just looks it looks ridiculous. But as a kid, I remember being freaked out. Holy cats! What if you were in an airplane and it got a hole in it, and you got sucked out of the airplane and then fell to your death? 
Uh, and the rest of Airport 1975, of course, is about um, how Karen are they going to... Black. Well, you know what? So Airport came out uh, in 1980, I think, like five years later. And all of the tropes that Airport makes, that Airplane, Airplane. makes fun of, yeah, that Airplane makes fun of, they were they were presented in complete earnestness in airport. So one of the things that I didn't remember uh, is for some reason I thought Karen Black actually landed the airplane. I thought she did too. She doesn't. They lower Charlton Heston out of a uh, helicopter into the. Uh, get back in the kitchen, honey. I he looks it. like a GI Joe. Like, uh... yeah. And, and one of the guys, by the way, and this is another chilling accidental death. The first pilot they try to lower out of the helicopter into the 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 seven forty sevens hole. He gets, you know, they have a, a release handle on the harness that they pull to let loose of the rope, so they can, you know, so they can then drop into the seven forty seven once they've got a hold of it. Uh, he's trying to get into. The, the first pilot's trying to get into the wreckage, and there's a shot of the big old handle for the tether release getting stuck on a piece of wreckage, <laughs> and, then, and then it pulls loose and he falls. And so, you know, he goes the way of the co-pilot who got sucked out of the airplane. But then Charlton Heston does it. He gets in, and yeah, it's exactly like you're saying, Kelly Wand. It's like, okay, I, go make sure everybody's got coffee. I'll land the plane now, yeah. stewardess. Um, <laughs> so wait, which is the accidental death? Because uh, this, this is a point of order, and is a heart attack an accidental death, no, or is it no. the plane? No, the heart attack I couldn't care less about. It's the, okay, it's, okay. It's the co-pilot, the co-pilot getting sucked out of the hole in the airplane. Because in the poster, and man, those old poster for those those old posters for those disaster movies were fantastic. At least as far as like. Uh, you know, freaking you me out as kid. Yeah, and getting you to just think, wow, I want to see this. And so the poster has got a big old shot of a 747, like, flying right at you. And it's got, you can see the little twin engine plane has bounced off of the, the cockpit, you know, the windshield there. And you can see the co-pilot has been sucked out of it. And he's, like, there in midair, you know, <laughs> having been this pulled ass. out of the hole. And that's just, like, so chilling. And then two years later, yeah. they did uh, they did a Airport 1977 where... A 747 crash lands in the Bermuda Triangle and sinks, and all the passengers are trapped underwater. And that poster has the underwater – it's like a cutaway view of the water, and you can see the airplane resting on the bottom of the ocean such that the tail fin is still sticking out of the water. So they might have a chance. However, it's on the precipice of – the crumbling precipice of this uh, trench. Like it's going to fall down in there. No earthquake, hopefully. <laughs> Or everybody get to the back of the plane. Uh, the, on the King Kong 1976 poster, it shows King Kong with like a foot on each World Trade Center building, like big, yeah, he's crumpling that. F-15s. Right. There's no F instead of helicopters. Cheesy ass. Yeah, Capricorn One helicopters made out of paper mache. So that's my number three is uh, Airport 1975, which I never thought would be on one of my three by three lists. Uh, <laughs> I needed my gentle touch. Did you see the – I never saw the 79 one, the Concorde one. Yeah, well, that's just like a terrorist like, put a bomb on the Concorde or something. Right? And then that plane had, like, crashed. Like, it's gone. Uh, the actual Concorde, yeah. Well, there were multiple Concords, weren't there? There wasn't just one, was there? Yeah, it was a cool-looking plane. Right, right. But one of them I think it was like a type of airplane, if I'm not mistaken. Weren't there multiple Concords? Just like there's multiple space shuttles. But wasn't that like the Virgin flight of it? The Concorde? There was a big deal when the Concorde flew the first time. I don't. It wasn't wasn't that kind of the idea of that particular version. 
Oh, Don't you what? remember the con- when the Concorde flew the first time uh, across the, the ocean? Right. It was, it was a big really? deal, and I thought that that was sort of what that, that film, what 79, was trying to catch. Ah, right, right, right. I thought you were talking about there was an actual Concorde wreck, but it was not the Virgin flight, of course, of, of the Concorde. No, no, no. Right, no. so I think that's the deal. It's like the unveiling of the Concorde, and it's going, it's, and, and there's a terrorist putting a bomb on it. I, I okay, think, okay. So they just went back to bomb after four movies. Because it's a bomb in the first airport. Well, you know, the first airport is weird. The first airport, like, there's everything. There's, like, a bomb. There's a storm. There's a uh, air traffic controller strike. It's, like, just all this, like, crazy stuff happening in one airport. Uh, Shelly Winters, George Kennedy. I remember my... Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, in the 1980, airplane comes out, and then there's never going to be any more airports. Ruins it for everyone. Yeah. Although it would have been funny if there had been an airport eighty one after airplane, like they try and do they they parody airplane. It's over Kelly Wand. All the airport movies. Space shuttle. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your uh, what is your number three choice? Wait, Dingus was gonna say something. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dingus. Instead of that stupid shit I said. Well, I was just gonna say I remember my parents being really excited about the airport movies coming out. I mean, I I don't know what it, but it would be analogous to maybe it's Final Destination for us. I just remember them being really <laughs> excited about the new one coming it's out. It's Final Destination for Grandpa. And maybe it's just when they would be showing on TV or something. Oh, 77. It's, got a, it's a marathon. It's all the airports. Let's go now from 70s disaster movies to whatever Kelly Wand has for us for his number three choice for favorite accidental death that is not in a Final Destination movie. Uh, 80s children's movie. Oh, wait, 70s. We're back. We're still in the 70s. Ah, well, good. Because I tried to think of ones from my childhood, too. Because mm-hmm. then if you see an accidental movie death as a kid, you're like, you become obsessed. Okay, i got to avoid that. And so one of the ones that made an impression on me was in uh, in Star Trek, the movie, the motion picture movie, the first one with the bald chick. Um, Persis Kambata. Persis Kambata, yeah. Good, Tom. It's very unracist of you to remember that. And also her career after Star Trek. Uh, when they when Kirk first gets on the ship, there's like uh, it's like the transporter's broken or something, and so one of his staff gets uh, killed coming in the, through the transporter, like gets turned inside out or something, like in the fly. And like he's like, ah, just can we try and get that fixed before we leave? And then that's like the end of the scene. You go, oh, I wonder what. When's that going to pay off later? And it never does. It's just like sort of in there. Like, oh, transporters can break. And then later on, the hyperspace breaks, too. And you're like, yeah, this ship doesn't run very well. They don't have any chance against V'ger. But that's my number three is the transporter accident. That's, that's back when sci-fi point. was dangerous. Yeah. All right. Uh, like it worked uh, in the 60s. Have you since then successfully avoided any any of those particular dangers in your real life? Have any of those dangers threatened? Yeah, you just got to make sure the other place is calibrated to go where you already have. Yours is terrible because dinguses, which we can't talk about, could happen to anyone. Mine, you know, could happen to anyone. Everybody's sort of got a natural anxiety about Everybody flying. flies. Right. Uh, Kelly Wand, yours, I've, that has never once scared me. I have never been in the process of being transported on board the Enterprise and worried about that happening to me. Well, I'm so dumb that I'm, to me, that's not that far removed from a plane, like a hole in a plane, like for all I know, that turns you inside out. Did y'all see, did y'all see the Good Shepherd? Yes, of course. Uh, Man, remember the, remember the ending of that? I don't want to ruin anything, but. 
Does the sheep die? Dingus, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Kelly Wand, you don't remember the ending of uh, The Good Shepherd? I don't see movies with good. (laughs) (laughs) Good Shepherd made one of my lists, actually. Uh, it is not. It, it has nothing to do with the transporter failing. Uh, I will. I will point that out. So, I just right, Star Trek doesn't come up often enough on the podcast. I know that's. A, you've done your part. Well done. Well played. Good. Uh, all right, Dingus. What is your number two favorite accidental death that is not from a Final Destination movie? All right, my number two. Um, I don't know how to. I'm sure, how to introduce it to you guys. I like what um, I'm hearing. You know what? I think I'll give you guys a quote. Act it out. Act out dying from... Yeah. Man, I don't even have an opinion. <laughs> That's my number one. <laughs> That's an easy one. Well, it's an easy one, but Kelly Wan, when you do an easy topic... I should have like took that, that off the table. Or you should have done something I thought, like... I thought you and I would share uh, my number two and number one. Uh, I'm surprised. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, my quote from it was, Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> it was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, Kelly, if, you, if you'd if you made it more specific, like, say, best accidental death with a grenade, for instance, which we could have mentioned the original 1982 thing that has a wonderful accidental death with a grenade right at the very beginning. Uh, but when you just lay it out like this, we're going to be talking Pulp Fiction. That's just a fait accompli, you see. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Diggs, tell us about this scene. All right, this is when Vincent Vega played by um, one John Travolta, uh, shoots uh, Marvin the Informant, played by Phil Lamar, which I had forgotten, actually. Uh, Phil Lamar, who is actually hilarious, and I've seen him on stage, uh, in the face accidentally during a discussion about whether or not um, Jerry Seinfeld, when he misses shooting them, whether that's a miracle or not. And they're having a, a discussion about theology in the car, and John Travolta turns around. That's God's him. answer. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Marvin? And Marvin says he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have a, even have an opinion on it. And, and that kills. I him. just remember that that it's just so stupid and absurd and still absolute genius. I just yeah. remember seeing that at that moment and just jumping. Just what? What? So it's a great accident. Well, and also their reaction to it. I mean, <laughs> they're yeah. obviously, you know, it really is as if someone had spilled a full Coke in the car. It's not like somebody <laughs> got shot in the face. It's like if you just accidentally dumped out a big gulp on the upholstery or something. That was, that's kind of the extent of their reaction. Uh, it's it's is why part of the movie where things seem to be slowing down. You're kind of zoning out like, oh, they're going to talk about miracles and shit. <laughs> uh, Dingus, why did you call Alexis Arquette Jer- Jerry Seinfeld? Whenever that guy jumps out of that room, I just think that's Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> okay, that's thanks for ruining that scene for me. Now, nice work. You're welcome. That's that's a service I provide. Kelly, one. So that's not your number two or your number one choice is uh, the shooting of Marvin in Pulp Fiction as one of the. I just thought it was too easy, and only nerds would. Ah, good. As opposed to Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, my number two. I'm realizing this is going back to uh, again my my childhood. Um, Although this, I watch Airport 1975 now, or the clips on YouTube, and it's absurd, and it doesn't affect me in the least, and it, it's rather silly. Uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, 
wasn't there an airplane flying to like Hawaii or something where the the roof got ripped off and nobody flew out? Like if, if holes get knocked into airplanes, you're they're fine. They just land and everybody's okay. Uh, I had always thought from Airport 1975 and Goldfinger. Uh, I don't know the Goldfinger part, but if an airplane ever gets a hole in it, you would just get sucked right out the hole like that. Uh, but apparently that's not the case. So uh, my fears there have been assuaged, and no, that's no longer a concern of mine. However, this accidental death is still very impactful, kind of like Dingus with Upside of Anger. I don't want to talk about it, but because the movie is from, I don't know when this is, 77 maybe? Uh, I'm assuming you've seen it, and if you haven't, well... Star Wars. It holds up. Oh, you know what? Good uh, good point, Kelly Wan. I think the same year as Star Wars, but not Star Wars. Uh, it's a movie called Sorcerer. Uh, with with Roy Scheider and uh, these people have to drive these two trucks full of nitroglycerin across treacherous roads in South America. Uh, and I guess it's a spoiler to say one of the trucks doesn't make it. Um, but they go through all of these difficult situations and these amazing dramatic set pieces, like with the bridge and with crumbling roads and dealing with rebels. With a, There's a firefight. And then at one point, when one of the trucks blows up, it's just driving along, and I think it i think it gets a flat tire, or maybe the tire just slips off the side of the road, but the two characters are just talking, and boom. Uh, you know, that's, that's like my number one, you bastard. Oh, is it really? Wow. Uh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so the greatest, because uh, they're talking about watches or something, aren't they? Well, yeah, it's one of the characters is finally, one of the themes of Sorcerer. Uh, so Sorcerer never explains the title. Uh other than you see them write, the, two of the trucks are named. One is called, I think, not Pellegrino. It's Spanish for danger. Pelagro? Pel? I don't Racist. know. One of them is, I think it's Spanish for danger. And the other one, they, they when they're when they're fixing the trucks up, they, they paint names on them. One of them is Peligro or something like that. I think it's just danger. And the other one, they call it Sorcerer. And I think Sorcerer is the one that doesn't blow up, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that would make more sense, title-wise. But at any rate, it's called that, and this is never explained in the movie. I remember as a kid, and I don't know if kids do this nowadays, but when I was a kid, if I loved a movie, I would read the crappiest novelizations of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Capricorn won novelizations. Right? Exactly that kind of thing. Right, exactly. You love the movie, so of course you want to read some terrible novelization. The Car, for instance. I, as a kid, read the novel that I think was the novelization of the movie, The Car. Uh, they were all by Alan Dean Foster, I believe. I don't know who that is. Uh, Logan's run. But um, so in the novelization for Sorcerer, uh, they explain that Sorcerer is, uh, in, in the early part of the movie, there's a disaster at an oil refinery. And this is what they need the nitroglycerin for is to blow up the caps on the, the it's not a refinery, it's a well, to blow up the caps on the well to, to shut down this, this oil fire. So the, the explosion has killed a bunch of people in a local village, a bunch of the workers. So there's there are shots of the workers' bodies being returned to the village, and I think there's some kind of ceremony. And in the novel, they explain that the point of the ceremony is the people are doing rituals to protect the bodies from a sorcerer, you know, an evil necromancer that will come around and will breathe life into the bodies. And so they walk the earth, you know, they're like undead. So that's what that's what this idea is of a sorcerer, and it ties into these four characters who have come to this small South American town to escape these terrible things they have done in other in other cities, and this is where they've all fled to. And so when the Frenchman is talking about his wife, he's finally opening up because everybody is very sort of cagey about where they've come from and the things they've done. 
Uh, one of the guys is like a, a Palestinian terrorist. He's a, he's a he's set off bombs in Israel, and that's how he knows at one point how to blow up a, a huge tree trunk that's falling in front of them. But uh, so so when the Frenchman is finally opening up about his his life, you know, his previous life, he's sort of re, uh, he's sort of willing to share it with the other guy in the car, the Palestinian kid. Uh, he's showing him the watch that his wife gave him. Uh, right before he had to flee Paris because of these financial misdeeds he did. And at that moment, that's when the, the tire slips on the truck and he blows up. I, I love Arma. the timing of that. Yeah. See, that's the, that death as a character is a way richer 70s death character than the Final Destination. He's paying attention to that dialogue. Man, the 70s were awesome, weren't they? I know. I can't believe, I'm impressed you read Sorcerer, though. That's going deep. Well, who wrote the who wrote Sorcerer Kelly Wan? Because it's based on a French movie called Wages of Fear. Uh, but who actually did William Friedkin write his shooting script for Sorcerer? Do you know? Never wrote anything. Uh, let me get on that. I'm guessing it's like William Goldman or someone famous like that. Uh, we'll find out. While uh, Kelly Wan googles this, Wallen Green and the oh Waylon Green by Georges or Arnaud. Well, uh, Arnaud did the original French movie, so it's probably story by Arnaud. It feels pretty French, even the American one. Yeah. So anyway, there's my number two, uh, and it has, I still worry, like if I'm ever driving a rickety old truck full of nitroglycerin, I can't help but think of that moment in Sorcerer, you know? Just like Kelly Wan when you're getting transported aboard the Enterprise. See, what if the Ryan Gosling character from Drive... (laughs) That kind of I will drive five kilometers. I will not drive four kilometers. That, I will not drive six kilometers. <laughs> I read the Black Hole novelization because I didn't understand the ending of the movie. <laughs> Did it clear anything up? No. All I right. think they're all angels like in Battlestar Galactica and Lost. Kelly one, what was the name of the robot in uh in... Incident? And there was an old West guy one. Remember the old <laughs> there was like an old robot who floated with a mustache and a cowboy hat? <laughs> You're making that up. I swear to God, they go to the fucking ship, and there's like a Nazi scientist, an evil robot, and this guy. I love this joke. Okay, go on. <laughs> no, forget it. I'm upset. And that was Alan Dean Foster, by the way. Nicely done. Hate you people. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dingus, when you read the Star Wars novelization that Alan Dean Foster ghost wrote for Lucas, did it trip you out at all that in the book Luke is blue five? And in the movie, it's Red 5. Uh, it wasn't in verse, so I didn't pay attention. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is your number two? Now that we know both your and my number one picks, what is uh, what is your number two? I thought that was your number two. Sorcerer was my number two, but Dingus oh, is full fiction. Right. Yeah, yeah. We crisscrossed. Uh, we did. My number two is in uh, Grindhouse, Planet Terror. Uh, See, that's another... Show. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I almost mentioned this in connection with the Pulp Fiction one, because I see this. I, you know what? I'm stepping all over your point. So go ahead and explain the death, and then I'll tell you why it's a terrible pick. <laughs> really? You think it's a terrible pick? I think it's hilarious. Because that's why, it's, I, that's uh, why I think it's a terrible pick, because it's played as a joke. It is a joke. It's I know. It's supposed to be a dumb movie. It's not, I, I agree. I mean, it's played as a joke. It's also not set. It's set up really like half-assedly. Like, well, explain explain what it is for folks. Marley Shelton's like this nurse mom who breaks her fingers or something on a door handle. And so everyone's turning into zombies. So she takes a pistol out of the glove compartment and she gives it to her eight-year-old son, Billy. And she's like, okay, just make sure you use this 
only not on mommy, but on zombies. And then she gets out. She takes two steps, and then she hears a gunshot, and Billy's misused. Like it, that's how. To me, I don't know why you don't think that's funny. To me, it's funny that it. I think it is that funny. long. I think, I think it's hilarious, but I think it's it's not as serious. There, there's so many things in. Uh, I love Planet Terror, first of all, and there's so many things in it that just work so well on so many different levels. That right there is just played as a joke, and it's fine. I'm fine with it, uh, but it's just like a funny kind of throwaway joke. I think. Sure, but it's a great throwaway joke, and all accidental deaths are throwaway jokes, including the sorcerer one. Uh, see, there you go. The sorcerer one, I think, is an integral part of the point the movie is making, as I, as is the airport 1975 one. Well, in uh, <laughs> Planet Terror, it's making <laughs> the point done. that... Uh, By the way, Kelly Wand, I have... Uh, Marley Shelton, I loved her in that movie, but I have since come to respect her so much more seeing her in awful movies where she is still good. I, I rented, I couldn't even get through this. There's something called, like, uh, it was actually a sequel to a movie. There's a movie called Electra Lux. And for some reason, I ended up getting the sequel because Carla Gugino. Yeah. She's Hot in it. In Sin City. Uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are in it. There's, there's a bunch of great actors in the sequel to Electra Lux called, like, Electra Lux 2, blah, blah, blah. And it's some kind of, like, it's like a, a former porn star as a detective uh, Timothy Oliphant is in it. Uh, it, it. It's just so unfunny. It's just That's like a weird one to me. <laughs> it's so like like made for TV, unfunny, just stupid humor. But Marley Shelton is in it, and even though the dialogue is terrible and it's so embarrassing to everyone involved, she is so good in it. Like it's like you can definitely see she's a really good actress, even in this awful material. And another place that came through. Did any of you guys see Scream Four? Fuck no. God, it is awful. It is so like. Aha, uh-huh, you saw it. I know. The theater? It is smug. It is so happy with itself. It oh. just thinks it's so clever. Damn. And Marley Shelton plays this sort of weird. They do a fake out thing where you think maybe she's the killer. And she's this weird, awkward, like, deputy character. Uh, and she's just so good. I love her. Does she live? I'm not going to say anything. You'll have to see Scream for yourself. Uh, I gotta see. Uh, Harley yeah. Shelton is good in it. You should, if you like. I like how in Scream three and four, the whole premise is okay. And it's when it's the third movie or the fourth movie, all bets are off. Anyone can die. And then like, oh well, then you'll love all that kind of stuff in Scream four, Kelly Wand. You should see it. I don't think you're pronouncing that movie properly, Tom. It's Scraform. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dingus. I'm not gonna say that. Well said. Star of the Empire Strikes Back Wars. Great title. All right, so Don't Planet Terror, Kelly Wand, good pick. I just don't understand. Okay, you're saying that's a bad pick because no, it's, it's a it's a good pick. It's just a throwaway joke. It's not. Uh, and Pulp Fiction, totally different gunshot. Well, I do. I mean, Pulp Fiction, like uh, like Dingus was saying. I mean, they're talking about like the the providence behind whether or not a gunshot hits or misses. And when Marvin just refuses to have an opinion on it, it's like God strikes him down. It's like, and it's it's. By the way, it's another thing I remembered watching the little scene uh, is uh, Jewel. No, it will Samuel L. Jackson telling John Travolta not to blaspheme. <laughs> and, then, and then when he says it, as soon as because John Travolta says something like, "Ah, oh, Jesus Christ," and and then uh, Samuel L. Jackson says, "Don't blaspheme," and John Travolta immediately goes, "God damn it, Samuel L. Jackson, what did I just tell you?" Uh, I mean, the dialogue, like Quentin Tarantino, when he does what he does well, is just so good. Uh, well, he did uh, Grindhouse, so you should like no, it. No, he man. did. Not, he did. He did the crappy part of Grindhouse. He did the tedious part of Grindhouse that almost that I had to sit through after sitting through Robert after enjoying Robert Rodriguez's awesome part of Grindhouse. Uh, hey, that 
the part you're talking about, it had Kurt Russell and Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. So it was like a thing reunion. <laughs> or, it was a pre-union. It was a pre-union. Yeah, it was the meeting of the things. The right. scenes together. But then in that, he dies, she lives. And then in the movies, she lives, he dies. Wait. He doesn't die in the grindhouse thing. Yeah, he does. And don't talk about this, the other thing, please. Uh, he, Kurt Russell just gets, like, beat up and cries. No, it says in the script he dies. Do you know that from the movie? It says a killed kick or something. What? Whatever. You can't... What, you think they you know leave what? I, don't, I don't even want to talk about Grindhouse. That's, I just could not care less. Well, anyway, the the one I'm talking about, the Marley Shelton part, that could be God's judgment on Billy. Ah, right. Maybe he was doing something terrible, right? Like, that's... Right. She, he's reviewing her as a mother. No, that's a fine. That's a fine joke. But as far Mysterious. as the joke about accidentally shooting someone, like I feel that Planet Terror, that joke is done better and with more substantial purpose behind it in Pulp Fiction. So that's why I wouldn't put Planet Terror on my own personal list. I support your choice, though. Also in Star Trek, that's God's judgment. Oh, I want to change one of mine. Dead gummit. Go ahead. You know what? I'm well. No, I need you one know? of the ones we already did. You no, can make it your new number one. No, I'll save it for the runner-up. All right, so uh, the the only uh, unknown left is Dingus's choice for number one. Uh, I picked Pulp Fiction. Kelly Wan, you picked Sorcerer. Uh, Dingus, what do you got for us? Your number one favorite accidental death that does not take place in a uh, Final Destination movie. All right, here's a, I'm going to give you a quote, and Tom, I want you to give me the response to it. I'm not going to play your improv because you won't play the Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows improv with me. Well, I always we do. It, it with... Kelly doesn't. <laughs> I'm sick of it. It's become what Dingus, those characters are doing, like the same conversation. Dingus, if you do Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows with me once, then I'll give you the response. Is right, that right? You just, you, but you have to give me the response first. Okay, I will. If I do yours right, then you'll you'll do my improv game. So go ahead. What do you got? Let's do Wild Wild right. West dialogue, too. That'd be fun. All right, here we go. Here comes my quote. Mm-hmm. There, there was like an 8% chance. <laughs> Can you giggle while you're saying it? Who taught you math? Oh, that is an awesome one, Dingus. That is a very good one. Kelly, do you know what that is? No. Oh, who taught you math? Is it? Uh, all right, Dingus, what is that from? Oh, that's a really good one. That, that's way better. That's almost, well, certainly way better than Kelly Wan's Planet Terror and right up there with Planet with Pulp Fiction. I'm curious why it's number one over Pulp Fiction. So explain this. All right, this is uh, from the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And uh, this is when... <laughs> <laughs> That's Kelly One's judgment of the movie. <laughs> uh, this is when, um, <laughs> when, when Gay Perry and Harry Lockhart, uh, played by Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr., respectively, are uh, interrogating uh, a guy they've just uh, escaped from. <laughs> And um, it, uh, there's just such a great character dynamic going on here uh, because because they're they're trying to find out where uh, Harmony is and uh, and uh, Gay Perry is a, a professional private detective and he's used to this kind of thing. I mean, he breaks the guy's nose. He's like, I'm going to break your nose, and he breaks the guy's nose. Uh, but the, these two guys and Harry Lockhart has no freaking idea what he's doing. Um, and, but however, the, these two guys have bonded, and so they're acting as if they're like partners, like cop partners or private detective partners. And so <laughs> Harry Lockhart starts this: "I'm going to do a Russian roulette thing on your ass, and you're going to tell me where she is." And and Gay Perry's saying, "Harry, Harry, what are you doing, Harry? 
but you can see in his eyes, he's like, I got to go with my partner's play here, but I'm uncomfortable with it. And then, of course, in trying to do Russian roulette, um, Harry just shoots the guy in the head. Um, and, and, and then Gabe Perry says, what, what, did you have a live round in there? And, and so, and, and he didn't expect, Harry Lockhart did not expect to do that. It was a total accident. He thought he, he thought mathematics was on his side. <laughs> and you can see afterward as he sits sort of crumpled against the car that he's just, he can't figure it out. He cannot figure it out. And, and, uh, he's trying to do the math and, and Gabe Perry says, and you stop doing multiplication. So uh, that right there is an object lesson for why you should pay attention in math class when right. you, when you're a kid. That so. wouldn't have helped him. He did pay attention. Uh, and uh, good Shane Black script, right? Absolutely. All right. What are you trying to so, say? So, Dingus, why do you pick that over Pulp Fiction? Um, I watched both scenes, uh, and I just love. I prefer Robert Downey Jr.'s reaction. Um, and the reaction, uh, I, I love the reaction that you were talking about earlier of them sort of, it's as if somebody barfed on their heads, uh, and, oh, that, that's gross, you got it all over my hair kind of a feeling. And whereas, whereas Robert Downey Jr. is really almost bereft, he can't believe this has happened. And, and Val Kilmer is very much like, he would have killed you, get over it, he's trying to get him through it. I just, I love the way that scene is structured. I, I mean, I kind of, they were kind of neck and neck. But after watching both of them, I, I can't stop watching this. this thing. And plus, you're a huge Michelle Monaghan fan. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> plus, she calls them right after that. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is the line about uh, the concealed weapon line? Uh, From Sherlock Holmes? Game <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it either. What is it? How's it go? I can't quite remember. Oh, God, now I can't remember. Damn. All right. I... Hi, Flummox Dingus. Hi. Uh, all right, so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Dingus's number one choice. My number one choice, Pulp Fiction. Kelly's number one choice, Star Trek. Five, The Voyage Home. <laughs> Since I will be reporting it on the Internet. Uh, Tom, uh, you, had a, you had one you wanted to swap out. What was yeah, that? so I actually just wrote several down, and then right before we recorded, I just picked my first three but forgot that I, this, this one I wanted to – maybe I would swap this out for Airport 75, but I'm glad we got to talk about that. Uh, I love – the uh, the drowning death, which is just implied, it's not commented on, and the main character doesn't even really seem concerned about it. Uh, the the scene in Get Carter after a shootout where he successfully uh, sort of beats off some dudes who he's having a shootout with at, on a boat, uh, not like that thing is, and as the dudes are running away out of spite, they they push his car in the water. <laughs> just like you, you jerk. It's almost like like a sort of a as they're leaving, like a final insult. <laughs> they push his car in the water and it sinks. Well, what they don't know is that before the shootout, Michael Caine has roughed up this woman who has been implicated in the the revenge drama that's that's the center of Get Carter. He's roughed her up and he has closed her in the trunk of his car and then he drives to the boat. You don't know what he's going to do with her. He just doesn't want her to. To, to tell on him yet because he's gotten information from her. So he closes her in the trunk of the car and then he has the shootout and the bad guys as they're leaving with no idea that the woman is in the car, push the car in the water. So we, we presume she drowns and does he jump in the water to save her? No. Does he seem distraught or affected by the fact that she is drowning? No. In Get Carter, Michael Caine is so incredibly cool and tough and, uh, and amoral that that accidental death just doesn't, he, he couldn't care less. 
so uh, the drowning in Get Carter, which is a the great first one. 1971, Mike Hodges, who then went on to do Flash Gordon <laughs> before right. he brought us uh, Croupier and uh, there's something that's called uh, There's Time for Sleeping When I'm Dead or something like that. Uh, I forgot what the name of that is. But anyway, Croupier and Git Carter are great. Flash Gordon is famous. This uh, Time to Sleep When I'm Dead or whatever it's called, not so great. So and that was stayed be- good, but John Carpenter went south after the thing. Well, Kelly Wand, you haven't seen The Ward, so you can't say for sure. You did. I did. And? Uh, Maybe you should see it along with uh, Scream 4. Scraform. Other runners up. So I was thinking of good grenade deaths. Certainly the the helicopter pilot in the first part of the thing. That was a great accidental death where he can throw a grenade and he just drops it in the snow and it conveniently blows him and the helicopter up. Uh, Woody Harrelson has a great accidental grenade death in Thin Red Line. Ooh. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, Also, doesn't the biker of the apocalypse in Raising Arizona have an accidental grenade death? No, Nicolas Cage takes the key. But isn't it accidental? Like, isn't Nicolas Cage like, oops, sorry. Oh, you're right, actually. Yeah, because he he says I didn't mean to as he gets crawled away. I think that's accidental. No. But that Woody Harrelson one, I I mean, and I had just seen Thin Red Line within the last couple of months, few months. And I've forgotten that, and that's just, oh, man. Yeah. I like Steve Coogan's in Thanks Tropic for Thunder. Thanks for bringing down the room, Jimmy. Well, how about this? How about Steven Seagal in Extreme Measures? Does he just... <laughs> does, doesn't no, he just like, uh, off of an airplane? Called. Extreme, or no, what's it called? Extreme, uh, it's extreme Decision. Executive extreme. Measures. <laughs> executive Decision, right. Yeah, executive is, Decision. That's what is Extreme Measures? Extreme Measures is a doctor movie. <laughs> Oh my no, God. I don't know where that. I got that. Well, I was close. Executive decision is kind of like, but doesn't Steven Seagal just like fall off of an airplane at the first part of it? He sacrifices himself heroically, though. Oh, I thought it's, he, uh, so it's not an accidental death? Because I, I seem to recall he just like slips. He tells Kurt Russell, yeah, I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed off, but you won't. And then he shuts the door on him. Oh, that's not accidental. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Well, another one that I, I think is for a speech. It's not accidental. Good point. No, you're very right. Uh, Dingus mentioned, and this doesn't really count because Dingus mentioned this a few weeks ago in another, uh, I forget what the topic was, but uh, when the blood falls in Brendan Gleeson's eye in 28 days later. That's I, was, I was, I was, yeah, I have that too. He didn't but it's, well, that's the thing, and that doesn't kill him, though. It's not, That's not what kills him. It does. Him. It does, though. It he does not kill him. Uh, no, it doesn't kill him. It's uh, the military kills him. Uh, it's, uh, it's bullets that kill him, not the infection. So that doesn't count. It's a great accident, but it's not an accidental death. It's an accidental infection. So if that topic ever comes up. It's snowballed into. Like many, like many of the deaths in uh, Final Destination. And many snowballs. Uh, what, what runners up do you guys have? I, uh, I'm the only intolerable cruelty apologist I've ever met. Um, I think it's it's a lesser Cohen's, obviously, but it's got a couple funny moments in it, and I like the part where uh, a dude shoots himself in the mouth by accident because he thinks a gun is his inhalant because he has an asthma. <laughs> wow, I don't remember that. That just seems like a random thing. Like Cohen's had a note for, like, gotta put this in something. Uh, all right, there's a Finn Fargo to go with that. Whichever word it is, so just like jam it in at the end of that. You don't remember that scene? Uh, I do not. I, so, uh, Intolerable Cruelty is so lame, like it's not even worth, uh, even if it has something good in it, it's still, I know what it is. Is it? Is it possible I haven't even seen it? I'm not sure. Clooney, uh, it's no, and Catherine Zeta-Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones. 
That's yeah. enough reason to see it, isn't it? I'm sure Robert Hansen loved it. It's like a 50s... It's like a Hudsucker Proxy. It's all shiny and, and period piece 50s-ish, even though it's not the 50s. I don't know. All right. Uh, Dingus, what runners-up did you have? Um, I was relieved that uh, accident. We we all steered away from like accident meant uh, medical deaths, like heart attacks and whatnot. Um, one of one of the things, uh, but but one of the things I really hate is when the death of a child is used to kind of just arbitrarily launch a plot. And although I really love Dead Calm, I hate the way that film begins with with an accident and a, and a child fall, flying through a window. So. The, the very beginning of Dead Calm is is a car accident involving a kid, and that launches everything that happens thereafter as far as the parents dealing with grief. Uh, but one of the things I liked um, in a movie that's not very good uh, is the way Stephen King kind of fucks with this in Pet Cemetery with Gage getting accidentally killed. Not and so, sending out the vibes. Yeah, well, well, but it's it's like. We're going to use this, and, and he, he perverts it, but it's it's that sort of idea of we're just going to use a kid to launch the plot, and so so I almost that was one of my early ideas was was using Gage's death. I think that's the name of the kid, Gage, yeah. um, uh, getting run over by the uh, the semi truck. That's not an accident. <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, the cemetery's made it happen because it wanted Creed to bring Gage in. Kelly Wan, that's or uh, Dingus, what's your name? Uh, Dingus, that's like saying it's an accident when the pane of glass beheads David Warner in the Omen. Yeah. Whoops. Good point. <laughs> also, I think there's an accident. I I don't. It's been a while since I've seen the original in, Insomnia, but I think there's an accidental death. At the end of that. What the Chino? No, not that. The the actual original. The non-American version. remake version. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't watched in a long time. I don't remember if it ends the way I think it ends with with just sort of somebody drowning. But I, I can't remember. Are there any good accidental deaths where somebody falls over and hits his or her head and dies? That that to me is one of the cheapest like uh, just shortcuts to like when you when you have people just like scuffling in a fight and somebody falls over and hits his head and dies. When does that happen? In Million all, Dollar Baby. All, all the time in movies, Kelly. Wong. Wait, name one. I don't feel like it. What are you talking I don't about? feel like it. You're crazy. I will. I will come up with a lit. You know what? Google accidental head hitting accidental death. Accidental head hits. <laughs> and you will find it's probably a keyword you can search for on IMDb. Are you referring to the final no, destination? No, but that that is basically what happens in Million Dollar Baby. Well, I, I rest my case. Really? Uh, doesn't? Um, let me see. How does? Uh, uh, what's the Sopranos dude's name? Uh, from in, in the loop, yeah. How does Gandolfini get killed in Man Who Wasn't There? Oh, pen stabbed in the throat. Oh, you're right. It's not a head hitting, is it? Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. And sure it's not an accident. It's a, it's a murder. Yeah, it's a, a scuffle. Oh Jesus! It's a crime. No, 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 no. Your whole scenario was it's not a scuffle. It's a, it, first. Well, you added scuffle at, as an afterthought. It was initially a guy walking down the street and then he trips and falls and dies. No, then no. you went or a scuffle. Okay, no. Here's one. Here's one, Kelly. One. Uh, in it happens all the time. In Sanctum, where uh, where uh, the guy, the two guys are like scuffling in Sanctum, and one of them falls over and hits his spine on a stalactite, stalagmite. Did that happen? Yeah. 
It's that kind of. It was a. It wasn't Cal Rodan. Oh, Richard Roxburgh. He was the guy in Sanctum. Uh, he's scuffling with the coward, and he, he gets knocked over, and he paralyzes himself by hitting his spine on a stalagmite. It's that kind of thing. It's the convenient. Oh, you whacked your head. The you, the person is now dead. Usually, you then have to dispose of the body, and it becomes like a murder mystery thing. Come on. There is an accidental death in Sanctum that I almost considered. Uh, when the woman freaks out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that would but, that, that would presuppose putting Sanctum on on one of your using that for one of your precious slots. <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't recommend that. Absolutely. And, and since reading the that book, I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, Blind Descent. Blind Descent. Thank you. Um, I I since have come to hate Sanctum more because there's there's death in that book about cave, about extreme caving right. that are that are more meaningful and and still accidental. Dingus, do you feel that way yet about Avatar? <laughs> that it was accidental? No, just that it, it's not as good as you thought it was when you saw it. No, it, <laughs> as as time passes, I grow to be more fond of Avatar, the way That's many sweet. people feel about the thing. That's very sweet. Okay. Uh, all right, is that it for our runners-up? Any other runners-up? Kelly Wand, have you thought yet of any movies where somebody falls and hits his head fatally yet? <laughs> I guess not. Uh what? <laughs> we're we're here. Are, can you hear us? I was out for a moment, or my <laughs> my uh, technical thing was. But I was going to tell Dingus the Avatar novelization by Alan Dean Foster is a rip roaring read. Ah, good. Uh, and good. it's in three D. Uh, all right, let's do next week's three by three on something that uh, Dingus is going to tell us about. Dingus, what is next week's three by three? All right, next week's three by three was inspired by something I saw in this week's movie. The Uh-oh. Thing 2011. Uh-oh, I don't like where this is going already. <laughs> so, are you two fellows um, familiar with a literary device called Chekhov's gun? First of all, yes. I know a gun's sometimes just a gun. Is that <laughs> that's, him that wrote that? That's Freud's gun. Oh. I get your gun out of my... your Freud out of my Jung. What was Chekhov's gun in uh, in The Thing? The alien space. Uh, well, spoiler. Was it the All right, gun? Well, there's there's a great moment when uh, my favorite character in the thing, and I'm not going to I'm not going to give anything away. Don't worry about that. Get it? Uh, my favorite character Lars just decides, hey, look at this box of grenades over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? This is grenades. But That's of course, you're saying you said about not separating. Come on over here with me in the start room. <laughs> So Lars just goes, hey. He says it in Norwegian. Right. What do you think of your name? And so as soon as he says that, of course, it's apparently irrelevant, but, you know, later on, we're going to have some grenades. And so these are your favorite examples. So Chekhov's gun is a literary technique where, like, this irrelevant element, usually a weapon, is introduced early in the story, and then later on it, it features prominently. And Chekhov's idea was, look, if you have a rifle in such and such scene, you can't have it not shoot later on. And if you have somebody loading a gun, you can't have them not shoot it later on. I mean, th- this was ba- this was his rule. And I love I love Chekhov's gun moments. And so these are your three favorite Chekhov's gun moments. And I would like them specifically with weapons, where you where you see something early on, like like a, a set of knives in the kitchen or a fork somewhere or whatever it is. 
where you got where you're like, yep, that's gonna feature later. I know it will. And so the, this is where they actually pay off. And you guys can do something later with the red herring guns. But this is your f- three favorite Chekhov's gun moments. Any questions? Not for me, Kelly Wan. Does that make sense to you? Is a lightsaber a gun? Aha. Huh? Dingus, what do you got to say about that? Uh, it's a more elegant weapon. A civilized. <laughs> Man, you guys, you guys suck at Star Wars. Uh, all right, so that will be our 3x3 three three next week, our favorite Chekhov's guns. There were no accidental deaths in the Star Wars mythology. Everyone oh. died for a reason. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, Boba Fett falls over into the Sarlacc. That's kind of like where no, you fall Han tricked him head. with his blind. Han doesn't need the Force. He, he's he can be blind and still beat Boba Fett by going, huh? What? Boba ha ha! You've thought about Star Wars. Tom, can you do the all, the Sarlacc's quote after Boba Fett dies? <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> That's the second burp. There's like a toad burp before that. Uh, okay, let's see next week. What do you guys think of seeing... Okay, gotcha. you two are going to see uh, Paranormal Activity 3. I'm going to see Martha Macy May Marlene. What do you think of that? I'm having second thoughts about <laughs> Three. Well, too bad, because that is our movie for next week. Paranormal Activity 3, or Production Assistant 3, if you just want to call it PA3. Mm, the shaggy PA3. From the directors of... Uh, catfish, which oh, really wow. you were quite yeah. fond of. Henry. I was. They're so qualified. They should take over the Thing franchise based on that track record. Uh, so we'll see that. Join us next week as we discuss. I hope there's a scene where someone gets yanked, because that was really scary in the other movie. <laughs> scared the shit out of me. I'm totally paranoid about invisible things yanking me around. I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I hope um, there's at least five different episodes like that. <laughs> so you didn't remember specifically mentioning in the first movie. By the so, way, my mom was yanked like this. It's weird. <laughs> we have it on video. So this movie will tap into our fears of being yanked by things yanked that we cannot see. Thing. Right, right. And it's catfish. Uh, and we'll be doing our three by three of uh, Chekhov's gun scenes. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have. Oh, I'm sorry, Kelly. One, go ahead. I'll do a synopsis of the correct movie so you don't have to endure. Jaws. If you want to do another Jaws synopsis, that's fine. By the way, I uh, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. I went on to Netflix uh, to watch The Thing this week. Do you ever get on Netflix and see that you've rated a movie and you're like, what the <laughs> hell was I thinking? I had given The Thing like four stars, so I don't know what I was thinking to not, because that's is about out of as how bad, many? Out of five. Oh, you're a dick. I know, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> You're an idiot. That's almost as bad as like getting on and seeing you've done something like giving Rambo 2 five stars or something. And you're like, what the? No, that's four. I'd give Rambo 2 four. But yeah. I think it's the greatest movie ever made. I know. I don't know why I gave it four stars. I'm convinced that someone hacked into my account on Netflix. Watch it get the same rating as the remake like in a year or as the prequel. Because like, oh. people go, people won't have seen the 82 and they'll just go, yeah, it's pretty good. It's scary. It's CG. Well, we'll revisit that in a year. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Matloski. You're almost there. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. I give all movies seven to nines. Uh, <laughs> what? Wait, is that the right quote? <laughs> uh... <laughs> See, his video game score. Uh. 
this is would have been a better song than the one they had in the movie. What happened to the Swede? Paleontology. Ah, see. Uh. I'll miss that music. Oh, uh, body switch movie: a, a baby and a little lady. 